Good morning, and um, grab your Bibles, if you will, and open them with me to back to the book of Nehemiah, and we'll um, continue our study of that book. Um, I'll begin reading at verse 4 of chapter 1, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. You follow as I read. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive And your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances, which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now, These are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attended to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this, this word, this endures forever. God, <clears throat> guys, this is a prayer. The second section of the book of Nehemiah is a prayer, a subject about which I know so very little. There are some 17 prayers in 13 chapters in the book of Nehemiah. We're not going to look at all of them. But we are going to look at this one. Um, and, And what I intend to do is not try to give you some how to, some how to of prayer. God forbid. God forbid that I should give you just another formula that you could take home. And in, in my opinion, guys, formulas hurt. They don't, they don't help us. They harm us. Because they allow us to check off another box that I did such and such. If you want to know how to pray, if you want to learn to pray, pray. <laughs> just go pray. I mean, uh, Talk to God the way that you'd talk to your doctor. You know, I got a head, I got a head, my knees are... Talk like that. 
it, um, a formula won't help you, I don't think. What I intend, what, what I hope to do by God's graciousness is what I want to do with this prayer is to show you or to give you some glimpse into the heart of a man who prays. The kinds of things that are in there that is in his heart. The kinds of things that, that a righteous man is thinking when he's praying. That's, that's what I want to do with this passage. So stay with me. Now, before we get to that, um, <clears throat> I don't want to make too much out of verse 4 because I know I mentioned it two weeks ago, or drew your attention to it two weeks ago. But I don't want us to hurry past it either. I want us to slow down just long enough to, to take a look once again at, at Nehemiah's response to the news that he got. The news is in verse 3. The survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. That's the news that he got. In response to that news, notice what he does. He sits down and he weeps. It's almost as if the weight of his grief makes his knees buckle. He can't stand up. So he sits down and he prays and he weeps for many days. How many is many? I don't know. Four days, six days, 10 days, I I don't know. I, I would guess it's probably closer to 10. But ladies and gentlemen, if you were to get a report about me that I had done this, that I had responded this way, somebody would write me a prescription. Somebody would would diagnose me as being in clinical depression. Um, and, And there would be There would be people whispering in the halls. Have you noticed that all he does is cry? I mean, bless his heart. Guys, the real storyline is not that he's praying or that he's crying. The real storyline is why. What's he praying What's he crying about? He's crying that the people of God are in such a mess. Jerusalem is in a mess. No wall, gates are burned, people are in reproach. Israel, at this time in her history, is the laughing stock of America. No big deal. It is to Nehemiah. The idea that God's people are in such reproach, the idea that God would be the laughing stock of America, the idea that God would somehow get lumped into the um, just just the pile of other regional deities. Nehemiah couldn't stand that. 
<clears throat> um, the idea that somebody might say, <laughs> some God you guys got. I mean, uh, look at that, the mess that, that, that thing that you call your capital city. <laughs> look at the mess that they're in. What kind of God you got there? The idea that God's people were in such a mess and the kingdom was in such shambles. Made Nehemiah's knees buckle. And he wept for many days. You know, guys, that kind of grief doesn't exist anymore. That kind of uh, concern for God's glory, that kind of concern for God's people, that kind of concern for God's kingdom, eh, that's not around anymore. You know, in the early part of this year, uh, it was in March, actually, I remember the exact date, it was March the 8th, the University of Memphis was playing a basketball game. Um, It was against Cincinnati, it was a big game, Memphis needed to win it. And um, it was the last game, last, I guess it was the last home game, maybe it was the last game of the year, but Memphis really needed to win it. And the game was scheduled <laughs> for 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. <laughs> that's no big deal. I mean, that's not a surprise. But you know, when I, when I read that, I, I just wondered to myself, I wondered... You know, when they were making that, that decision as to when to play that game, <clears throat> I, wondered, I wondered if anybody in the athletic department, you know, sitting at a table, can, can't you just envision it in your mind's eye? Uh, there's a big meeting, and we're going to have a game, big game, and, and uh, it's going to, the tip-off is going to be 11 a.m. Sunday morning, and, and the athletic department people are sitting around the table, and, and um, I just wondered... Did anybody ever say, um, you know that might eliminate the church crowd? And then somebody said in reply, silly boy. The church crowd? Don't worry about that. 11 o'clock it is. You know, A.W. Tozer, a name that's familiar to some of you, um, Tozer used to say that the most important thoughts that you think are thoughts that you think about God. That it determines the whole outcome and direction of your life. He even said that um, churches are like that. The kind of concept that, that churches have of God will determine their whole, their, whole out, their whole direction and outcome. But not anymore. It's, it's very obvious to me, at least from this text. That Nehemiah had a picture of God in his mind that's a whole lot bigger than the one that I think we carry around. He mourned. 
for many days because the, um, the reputation of God and his people was so significantly tarnished. And he grieved. Just that, ladies and gentlemen, is enough to, um, I hope, awaken and quicken some appetites. For a bigger God. Now, that's enough. I want to get on to the, to the prayer itself. Um, <clears throat> and and, and I, I think you will notice that he begins, he begins with a, a period of fasting. Um, there, there's nothing really, I mean, nothing really to say that, that I know of, except uh, Nehemiah was, um, was trying to gather himself before he started praying. He wanted to, you know, to focus. Because for Nehemiah, this, this, um, this whole... This, this whole thing is such a big deal. The reputation of God is at stake here, and the, and the, and the people of God are just not doing well. It's a big deal, and so he, he spends all this time just, um, just getting ready to pray. <clears throat> and what you get, I think... Is, is that you get input as to how a righteous man prays. Um, these are the things in this prayer, these are the things that are in the heart of a righteous man. This is a prayer that is prayed by somebody who understands the gospel. No. <laughs> Wait. <clears throat> Wait just a second here, Dr. Young. I, I think you may have gotten carried away here. I mean, you said this is something that a man who understands the gospel. Uh, I thought the gospel was something that, that's found in the New Testament. No, no. Guys, the, the gospel can be found as early as Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It's clearer in the New Testament, Yes. But every Old Testament person that was ever saved embraced the gospel to the degree that he understood it. Now, now we have more information, yes. But Old Testament saints embraced the gospel just like you and me. But I want you to notice how, how he opens. I'm in verse 5. I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God. He starts with adoration. He starts by extolling God's greatness. He's infused with this, with the character of God, a big God, a God who invokes awe. <laughs> might I plead with you, just as just something you might want to consider, that you not use this word awesome. Unless you're using it to describe God. I, you know, I'm sorry, but a new video game is simply not awesome. But it is descriptive of who God is. And by starting this way, Nehemiah puts himself in his place. 
Um, this God before whom I'm going is not a God to be toyed with. <clears throat> I, I'm privileged to enter his presence. And as I do so, I will do so reverently. Gang, all biblical prayers seem to start like that. Even, even the Lord's Prayer. You know that one, remember? It starts like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's adoration, guys. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. Jesus taught us to pray like Nehemiah. A kind of reverence, a kind of fear of God, so rare today, even amongst us evangelicals. This God, Nehemiah's God, this great big God, I'm not sure that is the God who is before us when we pray. But that's how he starts. But the first thing that he comes to after that is something that I really, I really know how to say this um, because it is present in our prayers, but it's not present like this. Look, look with me at verses five, six, and seven. Um, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. <coughs> we have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept commandments, the statutes, the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. I am coming before you this morning, God. And I am asking you to lend your ear. But I am fully aware that you probably ought not give us your ear. Because we have sinned. Did you notice what he said in verse 5? It's... it's um. Um, those who love you and observe your commandments? Do, do you see loving you and obeying your commandments set side by side? Because you see, the people who keep his commandments are the ones who love him, and the ones who love him are the ones who keep his commandments. But then he goes on, and he doesn't talk about the other people. He says, all of Israel has sinned, but so did I. Did you notice the we? I sinned too. Your ordinances and your commandments and your statutes, none of it, none of it have we kept. Well, now, Dr. Young, um, could, you, uh, could you possibly tell us the, um, uh, the difference uh, in a commandment and an ordinance and a statute? It doesn't matter. Whatever God demanded, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't keep it. 
Whatever you, whatever, you, whatever you told us to do, we didn't do it. And then notice also in those verses that he says twice. He says in verse 6 and verse 7, he says, we sinned against you. We sinned against you. Because all sin ultimately, ladies and gentlemen, is before God. Before I can ever sin against my wife and go out and have an affair, before I can ever do that, I've got to trample his law that says, thou shalt not commit adultery. Before I can ever give vent to my lust of my flesh, I've got to say, I've got to spurn his law. It's all, um, it's all against him. Every time I choose to disobey, ladies and gentlemen, it's, it's against him that I do. And one of the things that I, that I notice that is not there, there's not one but. <laughs> you know, guys, I'm kind of a part-time counselor, and I'm not a very good one, and every, you know, I, when people come to see me for counsel, they must be in real big trouble because or at the bottom of their barrel to come see me because I'm not good at it. I've, I've tried to tell you uh, over the years, but, but even I, as a part-time counselor, I, I can often tell who is really burdened with their sin. And here's how I do it. Do I hear any buts? Well, I did this uh, terrible, bad thing. Yes, I did. Uh, you know, it was a terrible thing that I did. I'm, I, 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 you know, I'll be honest with you, I did it. But! Yeah, 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 I, I, it's true. I, I did, I, okay. Yeah, but! You don't find those in this. No excuses, no blame shifting. Just raw confession and sorrow. And I'll tell you something else is not in there in those confessions of sin. You won't find this. The reason that we come before you today, oh God, is because on the basis of all of our righteous deeds. He doesn't say anything like that. You know why he doesn't? Because he knows it's nonsense. I'm, I'm not here to tell you of all my righteousness because I don't have any. Nehemiah seems to know that he cannot overpower God with his rhetoric. And so first things first. Adoration and confession. Um, you pray like that. You know, um, I, I, I think compared to this, our, our prayers are often so shallow. Oh, would you pray for my computer? It's not, you know, it's, I've, got, I've been hacked. Uh, the air conditioner is on the fritz. Would you, would you pray for my air conditioner? In Nehemiah's prayer, we are confronted with a God at his most formidable a, a, a God who is not impressed with our chatter or our rituals or our empty promises or our formulas.
where's our confession? And then thirdly, I, I want you to see in verses 8 and 9, he starts off verse 8 by saying, Remember, I pray the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying... Um, what he's doing in these two verses is reminding God of things that he's already said. Nehemiah's prayer is saturated with God's word. There are over ten references in this prayer or allusions to other Old Testament statements, passages. Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy 30. And here's the point of all that, ladies and gentlemen. My confidence when I pray is not in my cause my confidence is in, is in the promises that he's already made me. I'm staking my confidence in what you've already said. All I have to offer you is not my purity. I don't have any. All I have to offer you is your promise that you've already made to me. I want to remind you of things that you've said to me. I'm taking you at your word Guys, that's how a righteous man prays. God, the things that you promised, I'm asking you to do them. And then the fourth thing I want you to notice in his prayer, look look at verse 10. Um, Now these, these are the people he's praying for. These people over in Jerusalem are in such bad shape. These are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Notice in that one verse, ladies and gentlemen, you or your is mentioned five times. Guys, um... It is the man who knows much about his sin. And the man who knows that he has no right to be, he doesn't deserve to be in this presence. This is the God. I mean, this is the man who can go and ask boldly on this basis. I am yours. You redeemed me. I'm not here because I deserve to be. I'm not here because I have flowery rhetoric. I'm not here because I have righteousness to plead. I am here because you did a work to save me. Hey, God, I'm just praying for people that you redeemed. I'm not here because I deserve to be here. In fact, I don't have any rights to be here, but I'm here because I'm yours. Because you did something. You did something to save me. And then, did you notice in verse 11? Um, And to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. That's in the heart of somebody who prays. That's, that's in the heart of a righteous man. Oh, God, we don't do it very well. We don't fear you very well. But you know what, God? I want to get better at that. We desire to fear your name. I'm here, God. And you are, um, 
You are majestic in your holiness. And I have not obeyed from the very beginning of you having brought me to yourself. But I'm yours. I'm yours based on a work that you did. You redeemed me, and I desire to fear your name. That's descriptive of a heart of a righteous man who prays. By the way, the last thing that he does is in the last half of verse 11, he he comes to the part that we do do well, um, the request. Let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. There's the request. I want you to grant me favor in the sight of this man. By the way, this man, by the way, is, um, he's the king. His name is Artaxerxes. 20 years prior to this event, 20 years, this is recorded in the previous book, Ezra chapter 4. 20 years before this, Artaxerxes had commanded that this building project in Jerusalem be stopped. And it was stopped on the basis of some some folks who came to Artaxerxes and told him, these Jews aren't up to any good. You need to get this thing stopped. So Nehemiah is coming before a king who has already decreed the very opposite of what he's asking for. How can I get him to change his decree? And, and I think this is significant. You notice that he says, grant him mercy in the sight of this man. <laughs> he doesn't say, I need mercy in sight of the king of kings there, you know, the big guy, Artaxerxes. <clears throat> no, he's just a man. And I know that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it whithersoever he wills. He does know that that it is via prayer that we get spiritual advance. But I am, I'm going to ask a man for something, and that man, though he may be an earthly king in front of you, God is just a man. This is a prayer that describes a man who has been energized Energized by his concept of who God is, who is also broken by his own sin, and he takes great pleasure in a God who redeems people who deserve nothing but punishment from that God. That's what I mean when I said, I'm not going to give you a how to. I'm just going to show you what's in the heart of a man who knows God. Um, God, um, we delight in your honor. We, uh, we want to fear you better. Um, and I know that the only reason that I'm here is because of something that you did, because my sin 
separates me from you, but you redeem me anyway. Is that the way that you pray? I'm not talking about form. I'm just talking about a mindset. Is, 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 um, is, is, are these the things that, that you know when you pray? Now, hurriedly, if you could step back with me just to get a, a more panoramic view Beyond the fact that this is a prayer, that's what it is, beyond that fact, do you, do you see what Nehemiah is doing? He, <clears throat> um, he is functioning here as an intercessor on behalf of God's people Israel. Nehemiah here is interceding for Israel. And he does it well. He just doesn't do it well enough. Because ladies and gentlemen, the great intercessor for his people is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ intercedes for his people too. And guess what? He has no sin to confess. You see Jesus interceding in John 17 in the high priestly prayer. You know that's what he's doing. That, that 17th chapter of John, you know that's what he's doing. He steps in to intercede for his people for whom he is about to die. <clears throat> and by the way, do you know what the New Testament says Jesus is doing right now? In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, it says that he always lives to make intercession for his people. Guys, Jesus didn't learn that from Nehemiah. Jesus inspired that in Nehemiah. Guys, what, what saves us today is how Jesus Christ intervened by dying in our place and then continues to make intercession all the days of, his, of eternity as described in Hebrews chapter 7. Nehemiah does a good job. He just doesn't do it good enough. But the great intercessor for our souls has done his job perfectly. Can I give you one example and I'll quit? You know the story. It's in Luke 22. You don't need to turn because I think you know the story. But it's about Peter. You know, Peter, kind of the brash, self-confident, you know, the rest of the world will betray you, but not me. You know, I'm really spiritual and strong, and I'm not going to do this. All the other 11, you know, tuck-tailed, and, but not me, not me. Not. 
And Jesus says, Simon, Simon. (laughs) Oh, Simon, Simon. Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. But you know what, Simon? You're going to turn, and you're going to feel really bad about what you did. And when you do, you come back and you encourage the rest of the brethren, okay? And the reason that I know that you are going to turn, Simon, you know the text. Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. And when you turn, encourage the brethren. How could he be so sure that Peter would make it? Because he always lives to make intercession for his people. He's not only doing that for Peter, ladies and gentlemen. If you are a Christian in this room this morning, he is also doing that for you. And on the authority of his word, I say to you, you're going to make it. he has prayed for you. Our Father, would you remind us of the great intercession on our behalf by our Savior as uh, somewhat modeled by Nehemiah? There's a whole lot that he says that Jesus would never say because Jesus never sinned. But Father, we have and the only hope of our souls is to be found in Christ's finished work and his continued, his continued intercession for us even now. Lord, if you've brought people here this morning who have not yet met our Savior, would you cause them to see that apart from him, they are doomed? And would you open their eyes to see the great beauty of who he is and what he's done? We, um, the rest of us, Father, who have already been redeemed by you, we want to walk, we want to dare to draw near as Nehemiah did. Teach us more and more about what it means to follow a God who is the great and the awesome God of heaven. We pray as always, in the name of Jesus Christ.